Good morning, my name's Mike. Grab a Bible. Let's go to the book of Philippians this morning. We are glad you're here. If you're new with us, um, we have an app. There are Bibles maybe in the seatbacks in front of you, uh, or we'll put everything up on the screen. Now, um, one of the great things uh, about what I get to do in life is that I get a break in the summer to go study, to pray, to read, to reflect. That starts next week and goes through August. And, um, and so we've got a, a crew of folks coming in. Uh, we obviously have Aaron and Austin that will be teaching here. We have um, Tim Muehlhoff and we have uh, Dr. Barry Corey. Uh, and uh, and then, then we're bringing a guy in. I don't know if you've heard of him. He, he's kind of a no-name guy named Chuck Swindoll. I don't know, maybe if you've ever heard of him. He's coming in August 30th because we turned 60 this year, baby. And we look good for 60 years old. So August 30th. Uh, the Reverend Chuck Swindoll. Now the rumor, and this is unconfirmed, the rumor is he's going to be wearing flip-flops and shorts. And so <laughs> we'll see. Not, I'm not holding out hope, but that, we'll at least ask. Now, this morning, uh, before we get to Philippians, I want to do some cultural work. We do this, if you're uh, new with us, we do this uh, with annoying frequency. Um, and, uh, and so there's 15 minutes of a Roman history coming at you and it's straight on the screens and it's iPad. And so put your, put your thinking caps on. There is a payoff and there are, there are words that, um, will be popping out later, uh, in the midst of all of this. So I know some of you will glaze over. It's okay. 15 minutes from now, I'll let you know when it's done and you can come back. Uh, but, but there is relevance to this. Now, this is setting up, uh, some passages we'll look at in Philippians in the ancient Roman world, honor was the most significant value. There we go. Right here. There we go. See, all of that worked just to circle the word. Now, honor is a public thing. It's the recognition of one's social status by other people. And this was the prevailing value was honor. It was called an honor and shame culture. Honor was when other people acknowledged your social rank. You could not give yourself honor. Only other people could give you honor. And there was only a limited pool of honor to go around. Because if everyone was honored, no one was honored. So the only way you were honored was at the expense of somebody else. All right? So honor was more important than money if you can believe that, in the ancient world. Money was a path to honor. Money could be used to put honor on display. So we have examples all over the Roman world of inscriptions where you would pay for public works, and then you'd put a big old inscription of yourself and all of your titles on there. And Cicero, a very famous Roman statesman, uh, in fact commissioned a public work to be done, and then he says to the architect, make sure in a non-inconspicuous place you put all my titles. I mean, this is what you did. Honor was when other people acknowledged your rank. Now, that, the opposite of honor was humility, and that was not a virtue in the ancient world. Not even remotely. Honor could be acquired through feats of greatness in the battlefield or through wealth. Honor could be inherited through a family name. All right, now, what began to happen is that Roman society, by the time of Paul, was incredibly stratified and divided in between elites and non-elites in the Roman Empire. This is all relevant and it's coming. Elites were 2% of the population, about 1 million people out of 50 million people. 
2% of the population, they controlled 50% of the wealth. And they existed in three orders, three divisions. First were senators, about, uh, this was 600 men and their families. There were new ones that had inherited wealth and came into it, and there were old ones that were lineaged uh, back to some of the original founding families. You have equestrians. These were folks that in the early days of Rome could afford to own horses. Uh, they were known as knights. They were of three classes, most renowned, most accomplished, and excellent. And literally, that were their titles. So, so Pilate uh, belonged to the excellent order of equestrians. And then you have decurions. And the highest order of decurions, uh, duumvirs, it, it, it actually translates manly men. So, so I, I want to name on a business card that just says a manly man. And so, so what you have... What you have, you have three orders of the elite classes, all right? And the elite class was only 2% of the population. Now, the non-elites were therefore 98% of the population. Thank you, math. And they consisted of free-born citizens and non-citizens, freed men who used to be slaves and could either be citizens or non-citizens, and then slaves, 4 to 20% of the population, depending on who you're asking. Now, slaves, of course, had the lowest honor ranking in the empire, all right? So even within the elites, you had ranks. Even within the non-elites, you have ranks. Are you with me so far? All right. Now, there were different ways to determine where you ranked. So what you wore, there was something called a citizen's toga. If you were a citizen of the Roman Empire, you were granted a certain kind of toga to wear. Uh, and if you were a senator, your toga had a thick purple stripe. If you were an equestrian, your toga had a thin purple stripe. If you were a freed slave, there was a cap during certain se- uh, seasons of the empire that you would wear or a mark you would have. Uh, that determined um, you would let people know your ranking. Also, where you sat at public events. So at the theater, for instance, senators first, equestrians, decurions, and then everybody else. And there were, there were huge fines and penalties if you sat in the wrong place. And even the judicial system was stacked in favor of the honorable, uh, the honorable elites. Because they took not only into account evidence when metting out punishment, they took into account your social standing. So if a slave and a senator were accused of the same crime, the senator would either be found not guilty in virtue of his honor rating or punished differently if he was. All right, so this was Roman culture. This was the air everybody breathed. Now, this becomes really, really relevant because look at me. The elites started to compete with each other for honor through a series of public offices called the cursus honorum, or the course of honor. Right? It'd be like if you were into uh, like public government, and so you started out as a city council member, and then you worked to a mayor, uh, and then you were a state assembly person, and then you were a state senator, and then you became a U.S. senator, and then you became vice president. I mean, this was that. All right? it, was, it was a series of offices. So you started at the lowest military service. You became a quester, uh, or uh, a quester was somebody who uh, dealt with public finances. Uh, an edel was somebody um, who sponsored state works and public works out of your own treasury. Uh, a praetor was somebody who had judicial power. And then a consul, two men a year, held this position. And during the Republic days of Rome, this, re- this was the highest level. The point was, honor worked this way. 
Do you see that? So you would work your way up. We would call it the corporate ladder, the political ladder. We use that same imagery just differently. But this was the course of honors. Now, during the empire days, instead of consuls, you had the emperor. This person was the highest honored. And, and you still had, you know, you, they started adding offices the longer you went. But the point was the same. There was a course of offices. Now, not only did this happen in the city of Rome. you got ten more minutes. It happened in the places where Rome ruled too. So, out, if let's say you were in Asia Minor somewhere, you would have the replication of this same course of honors in your city. Alright? Now they'd call it different things because you didn't have senators there, but you had decurions. And they formed a mini-senate. And so the duumvirs, these were the councils. Then you'd have praetors, edels, questors, and the same thing. So it's important you understand, everywhere Rome touched, this way of understanding honor went with it. And, one last huge point, it was replicated among the non-elites, too. Now this is an example of inscription from Philippi. We're going to read the letter to Philippians. They lived in Philippi. So here's, here's how this cursus norm worked. Publius Marius Valens, son of Publius from the tribe Valtinia, honored with the decorations of the Curian Edel, also the Curian of Philippi, priest of the divine Antonius Pius, uh, Duumvir, sponsor of games. Okay? So this is what you would do. You would put that list everywhere you went. It's like you're, if you're a professor, that's like your CV. If you're, if you're a job, um, if you're looking for a job, it's like your resume. This is, this is how the thing worked. But it also worked among non-elites. Now this, the point I'm going to make is that because it worked in non-elites too, churches were tempted to have their own course of honors. So I'm going to give you an example of how this worked among non-elites. So non-elites would form things called voluntary associations. Guilds, if you were of a similar trade. Religious cults, we're going to look at one in a second. Or burial societies. You would literally join together in a group of 40 people to ensure you had a good burial. Because honoring was, burials were hugely significant honor markers. So that was significant to them. Now, here's an example of a cult of Mithras. This was particularly attractive to Roman men who were soldiers. But notice, these guys weren't elites, but they had their own course of honors. All right, so you started as a corax and you worked your way up to a pater or a father. And so, even non-elites would have ranking offices, which, then it's not surprising, that found its way into churches that were based in Roman colonies. All right, so we're five minutes from the Bible right now. The colony of Philippi was founded in 30 B.C. And it was founded by veterans from the civil wars that landed Augustus on the throne. One of the ways that you would entice soldiers to fight for you is that you would promise them citizenship at the end of 25 years of service. That citizenship was the thing they'd fought and bled for for 25 years. Philippi was interesting because it had the highest percentage of citizens in all the empire. 40%, some estimate. Whereas the norm outside of Rome was 14%. Half of the inscriptions we have from Philippi all make mention of citizenship and ancient tribal associations. Now, 
This infected the church. A couple of inscriptions from the second century, people would boast of their church offices. And I know we do that now. You know, it'll be Tim Kling, Bible study leader, men's steak fry, cooker, sitter of the fifth row on the aisle. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but my point is in showing that in the church, a voluntary association, the natural temptation was to replicate the honor society they saw everywhere. So here's somebody named Aurelios Kyrkibusis <laughs> who boasted on his gravestone that he was a teacher in the church. So he added that title to all the other titles. Or here's a woman named that who wanted to be known, if I, she wanted to be known, that she held the honor of deaconess. So what happened is that the church, and I know this will shock you, sometimes the church of Jesus gets infected with the way the world works. I know, I know, mind-blowing, I know. But it happened back then. And so Paul, who is imprisoned, writes a letter to Christians in this colony And I want you to notice the unique things he addresses in light of all of this background. You did it. You made it. 14 minutes. Philippians chapter 1. That's right. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Notice Paul and Timothy, and then what's it say? Servants. Now, that, now that's a softened English word. The, word. the word means slave. Dulos. This is the only place... Now Paul calls himself a slave somewhere else, uh, but he, he mentions that he's an apostle too. This is the only place where he doesn't mention he's an apostle. He only says he is a slave. Now remind me, where does slave rank? On the absolute... Bottom. So to a colony that was incredibly status conscious, Paul doesn't mention his apostolic title. He just mentions that he and Timothy are slaves. Now then, notice, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the what? Now, This is the only place I found where he actually addresses church leaders by their titles. So instead of referring to himself by his title, he refers to himself as a slave. And instead, he refers to the church leaders as overseers and deacons. And we already saw 100 years from now, someone's going to boast about being a deaconess. So the honor-shame thing was already starting to creep in a little bit. Notice, notice chapter 3. Flip over to chapter 3 very quickly. Verse 20. Notice this. It's the only place Paul says this. And it's just genius. What, what did Roman citizens value above all else? Their honor expressed in their citizenship. So Paul writes to these people and says, verse 20, but our citizenship is where? Now, this is the only place he says it. And he actually says it somewhere else in the letter, chapter 1. It's fascinating to me. It's, It's almost like Paul knows 
what this church was going to be struggling with. And so he mentions the leaders by name. He refers to himself as a slave. He talks about citizenship in terms of heaven and not Rome. And then the biggest bomb he drops is in chapter 2. Let's go there. We're going to spend some time here. Chapter 2. And this, oh my goodness. Many of you, if you've been around church, you're familiar with this passage, but I I want you to hear it a little differently based on the whole honor, course of honor. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. All right, so if you're at all encouraged about your salvation, if you have any comfort from being loved by God, If you have any common sharing in the Holy Spirit, I mean, you see how big this is? If you have any tenderness or compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and uh, and of one mind. Do nothing out of what? Selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do you see what he's just done there? He's just indicted the whole honor culture. I mean this, see, in Acts 16, Paul gets accused in Philippi of promoting anti-Roman ways. This had to be included in some of their offense. Notice, rather, in what? Humility, which was not a high social value. Value others above yourselves. Brothers and sisters, the reason you participated in the honor and the ranking was to advance your own interests. So Paul's not only saying, hey, abandon the counting and the ranking and the laddering, but if you find yourself in a socially high place, divest yourself of that honor and give it Away. Don't only look out for your interests, but for the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then there's this very famous series of statements that Paul makes that are so important, they're worthy of the iPad. Now notice... In your relationship with one another. So, the point of the following hymn or creed or statement is how we treat each other, okay? Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's describing a certain kind of thinking that leads to how you treat each other in certain kind of ways. Notice, oh, and this is so big. Who, being in very nature God. Now, This is a statement about who God, or who Jesus is, right? That he is God. But it's also an honor statement. The the ways in which you would honor emperors back in the day is that you would proclaim their divinity. And so phrases like, in very nature God and equality with God... Those were ways you described emperors and gave them honor. And so, yes, these are statements about the divinity of Jesus, but they're also status statements because can you have any higher status and honor than God? Is that possible? 
No, God, by definition, has the greatest honor instead of shrinking, correct? So if you're equal with God in your nature, in nature, God, that's as high a status as you can get, right? But notice, so these are status words too. They're not just who Jesus is. They are to an honor and shame culture. He is the highest rung of the highest rung of status. But notice, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God. And then here's this weird phrase. Something to be used to his own what? Advantage. So what's the mindset that Paul is saying? Hey, status. Here's the guy that had the highest status. He did not use it for his own advantage. That's exactly what Paul is inviting us to do in the way we treat each other. Whoever has status, don't use it for you. Whoever has resources, don't use it for you. Whatever social power ranking you've got, pour it out. And in this manner, imitate Jesus. Who had the highest ranking possible, but didn't use it for his own advantage. Instead, what Jesus did is he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a slave. Same word that Paul uses to describe himself. So he's gone from very nature God to taking on the very nature of a slave. Now, if you're a Roman and you're hearing this, what's just been inverted is what you've based your life on. Right? The cultural ranking system. So instead of this, Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Imitate Jesus this way. There is no greater gap in an honor-shame society between a God and a slave. So he says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, so we're talking about the incarnation, he humbled himself. No one ever humbled themselves willingly in that day and age. By becoming obedient. Obedient was a slave word. Nowhere are Roman citizens commanded to be obedient. They avoided that Greek word when talking about themselves. Obedient was a slave word. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now do you know what crucifixion was called in the Roman Empire? The slave's punishment. Slaves were the ones that were crucified by and large. So what has Paul just done? The highest possible honor ranking to the lowest possible honor ranking. Your attitude should be the same as that. But that's not the end of the story because in a reversal that no one in that century could have appreciated, God exalts him. God, the highest honor ranking, is going to exalt the one who's humbled himself. And remember, honor comes from other people, correct? So, what is God going to ensure that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every single tongue will confess? Do you see what's just happened? You have the most sudden and staggering in that worldview. Status reversal and U-turn. The highest of honors to the lowest honor ranking to be exalted then. So that every single person who's ever lived will acknowledge His honor. 
There's no way you can make the point any more beautifully than that. And Jesus himself speaks of this when he says, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. So what you have is you have the way of Rome, the Via Romana, the way of Rome. Courses of honor. But then you have something called the Via Crucis, the way of the cross. And the two cannot coexist together in the same person. In other words, you're either scratching, clawing, and fighting to ascend, or you're descending. And is it possible that there exists in America a Via Americana? I mean, don't you think? Don't you, whatever, whatever you are, a student, maybe you want to be a professor, or, or maybe you're a business person and, and CEO. I mean, there is a course of honor in American culture too. Now, sometimes that honor has to do with simple notoriety. How many followers, how many friends, how many likes, how many shares? Sometimes that honor has to do with, well, who's the wealthiest? Because we rank them. Right? Who are the best companies and who are the best CEOs? Sometimes that honor has to do with just simple comparison to each other. Well, I'm a better mother. I'm a better father. But we're all infected, and shockingly, it infects the way we see churches too. Now, you'd think paid religious professionals like myself would be immune from such nonsense. You'd think, right? But every time a magazine puts out the 50 fastest growing churches in the United States, I want to see if we're on it. I mean, I don't really. I just think that whole thing is silly. But the fact that there exists such an accounting, who are the 50 largest churches? Who are the 50 most significant churches? I mean, does that not seem antithetical, blatantly antithetical to the way of Jesus? I mean, have you ever wondered, like, I go to pastor's conferences and we all talk about how big our churches are. And, and no one ever gets to speak to pastors who pastors a church of 20 people. No, the only people that get to speak to other pastors are the pastors of churches of like 27,000. You'd think of all professions, those that publicly, most publicly claim to follow this Jesus and walk in his way and teach his way would be immune but even there, there's a course of honors. You start out as an intern. The form of a servant. <laughs> Youth pastor. And so, I mean, and I just go, my goodness, even in my own journey, there has always been the temptation to do this. And I can't indict you because I don't know what yours is. I just know what mine is. And I, I, God has been merciful to me by showing me much, how much of this is in my heart. I came out from Ohio. I worked at a church called Mariners uh, in Irvine, or Irvana, as uh, we, if you're a fan of beige, that is the way that whole community is beige. It just is beige. If you're a fan of that, that is where you want to live. Just saying. Now, I, I, I had been a youth pastor in a church of 200 people, and, um, and I, the, the pastor started letting me teach a little bit publicly, and I was thinking, all right. Um, and so I decided to come out to go to seminary at Talbot. I, I uh, was a uh, uh, sports ministries director here. I then went to work at Mariners as a college pastor. And, and 
I remember the first time I was there, I'd never been to a mega church. I, I'd seen services here. And, and this, of course, was huge. Uh, but that was Newport Beach huge. And so there was the, I mean, it was like, whoa. And I remember walking on that campus the first time and, and seeing the guy on stage going, I would love to do that someday. Love it. And so with a college ministry of seven students, we started working. We started working. Two years later, I get the call. Hey, we can't find anybody for the day after Christmas. Are you available? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. This is the big leagues, baby. Day after Christmas, we all know. It's a tough day. It's a tough day to be a paid religious professional. But when you're young and hungry for honor, you say yes, absolutely. So I remember the sermon. I remember the moment. I prayed. I fasted. I was just all in. And brothers and sisters, I killed it. It I may have been the best sermon that had ever been preached in that building. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. And, and I mean, I, I was so on top of the world. I thought, this, I, this was great. Thank you, Lord. This was fantastic. I got a future. Da, 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 da. Until I was in the restroom. And this is germane to the story. There's an unwritten rule in the men's restroom that if you're at one station <laughs> and others are open and you're walking in, you don't go right next to somebody else. You always leave something between you, all right? The guys, is that? I'm going to write an autobiography. There's a urinal between us. Because that's how, that's how it should be. So I'm at the station, and it's between services. And I've got two under my belt, and I'm feeling great. God has been gracious, and yes, he gets glory. But man, I killed it. It was awesome. And so this guy comes in, this frumpy looking, like straight out of, he probably pioneered Commodore 64 computers. I mean, this guy was just weird and just odd looking, and he pulls up right next to me, which is violation of the big rule. And, and rule number two is you don't talk, all right? And he starts talking to me. And, and, and he says, he says, hey, that was great. I said, oh. Thank you, praise Jesus. You know, I mean, that, whatever. And, and he says, hey, do you know what they used to do to Roman generals? <laughs> Can't say I do. And he says, well, it's so fascinating because what would happen is when a victorious Roman general would come back into Rome, they would throw them a triumph is what it was called. Uh, a procession from the gates of Rome to the steps of the Senate. A laurel wreath would be placed upon your head. A white stallion would lead your gold chariot through the streets of the city and acclamation would just be poured out on you. But they would hide in the chariot a slave whose job it was to whisper in the ear of the general, this will fade. This will fade. And then he walks out, didn't even wash his hands. <laughs> now, oh, is it that obvious? Am I dripping? I love, I love, do you bring one of these normally or do you bring one out of kindness or self preservation, whichever the case? 
maybe. Thank you. It's this awesome Ohio weather we got going today. I feel I'm at home. <laughs> now, that was odd. But I started weeping right there. Because have you ever had a moment when God speaks so directly to you? And I kid you not, I'm not a big like see angels guy, but it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't shock me. It just wouldn't shock me that there's some frumpy dude who, in an act of unbelievable divine mercy, spoke truth to a kid who was starting to get puffed up. I remember I was sitting with a, a pastor one time years after that, and he said, hey, what's the secret sin of your heart? <laughs> who asks that question? <laughs> Come on. And I don't even know. I'm just like, I don't know, maybe pride? You know, extreme handsomeness. I, got, I don't know what my sin in my heart is. And again, it was one of those moments. He just looks at me and with kindness and like firmness, he just looked and he said, you want to have a great name. That's what you want. And again, I mean, just tears and tears and tears and tears. And what I've learned to recognize is that the theology of weakness is one thing. The practice of it is something entirely different. And that you and I are constantly invited to choose between the Via Americana and the Via Crucis. Between the promise of prosperity and safety and convenience and comfort and the promise of suffering and self-denial. And which do you think is easier? See, what Jesus does that's so fascinating is that he says at the end of the course of your honor, there's destruction. I mean, we, can, we have these nice inscriptions about these nice Romans. Okay, we don't care. But at the end of the way of the cross is God's glory. If you ever want to look up something interesting, look up the connection between suffering and glory, particularly in Paul's letters. They go together. That if you want to participate in the work of Jesus, this is what he does. Maybe the reason we don't see divine power so much in the American church is because we're far too enamored with our own. And maybe it's among the churches of 20 in the persecuted countries of our world, in the places in the Middle East where your life is in severe danger. Maybe it's those places where Jesus of Nazareth reveals himself most clearly. Because there's no climbing ladders there. There's no ranking churches there. There's no listing accomplishments there. There's just desperation and dependency Maybe we've lost. Imagine a church full of people who treat each other like that. That we forsake the pursuit of our course of honors and instead seek to honor Jesus. And for those of us that have status and wealth and position, we don't use it to our own advantage. We give it away. Imagine a church of people like that. And so what you see in Philippians is something so beautifully relevant for us today. Close your eyes if you would. I just want to pray over us that God would wake us up. Lord Jesus, you being in very nature God, 
your descent into flesh and blood. Your descent into being forsaken and disappointment. Your descent, Father, into crucifixion. Lord, give us grace. Call out in us those parts that seek to boast of ourselves at another's expense. That seek to elevate ourselves and promote ourselves. That so, so cry out for that sort of attention and status. Father, may weakness reign in this place. May no one boast except Jesus of Nazareth. Lord, would you capture us by the way of the cross so that we begin to live and talk, behave and value like Jesus does. We love you and we pray this in the name of our Christ. Amen and amen. Would you stand with me as we close our time together? As always, prayer is a hugely important part of our services. And there are folks over here Folks that are available to answer any questions you have. Uh, They're called the Believe Team, and they're over here where it says prayer right there. Please take advantage of this. I want to bless you as you leave. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Lord God, may we be people who look more like Jesus, who act more like Jesus, who have the same mindset like Jesus does. Father, give us grace and strength to choose the way of the cross in the midst of our world, the way of America. And so, Father, please give us courage to walk in a manner worthy of our inheritance. We bless you and we love you. Amen and amen. Go in grace and peace, brothers and sisters. Thank you.